Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to podcast episode 441's After Show. show. I tried. I did That's try. Right. It's hard. It's hard via Skype or, uh, or yeah. this. So, I, mean, I think was, I was close. You were close. That was fine. That was fine. Yeah. You held the note a little longer than I, I did. did. I, I knew you didn't come in on time, and I wasn't sure if you were going to, so I held it longer thinking, oh, he yeah, might come yeah, yeah. in. There's a little bit of a delay, so we'll, uh, we'll get that going. Uh, I've got a question for you, but I want to put it just on the back burner real quick while I... I I've seen something recently, and someone brought it up on the board. Maybe it was Ray again um, about RFID chips in discs. And while I think it's a really good idea, and I think it could add some cool data analysis, I haven't seen a good way to do it yet. I've been I've been racking my brain as to how we could how that could be implemented because. I've thrown a disc or two that has one of the early ones. I think it was at DDO in like 2016 or something. Uh, one of the lat 64 guys, I believe brought one over an early prototype and it had, it had a, a, a little at the time it was maybe twice the size of a quarter. And it was stuck in the very center of the disc. It added a few grams to the disc and threw it. It was fun. It, it kept track of a little bit of statistics, but nothing ever came of it. And we've seen a few other companies now. I think I saw something on Reddit, just someone posting about, hey, um, can do you think we can do this, blah, blah, blah. And here's the problem we have. One is the cost, because those chips aren't cheap. I think you can probably get them down to 5, 10, 15 bucks maybe for one of those chips. But per still, chip? I would assume for a unit, yeah. I mean, you could probably, you, you could probably, you know, I bet you could probably create something for like in the ten dollar range. That ain't it, then. <laughs> like, if you're having to pass those out to like people with thirty disc in their bag, yeah. I mean, you're, oh, you're, my, there's no and, way. And, and I mean, if you think about it, you probably only need them for your drivers in general, unless you want. I mean, unless you want to connect, collect statistics and analytics on your putts. Like, hey, I'm a spin putter. I whatever. But you're right. Like, that's going to be tough. The second of all is how do you attach them? Because anywhere you attach them is going to throw the weight distribution off, even just a little mm-hmm. bit. Whether people notice or not, it's going to. So my thought was, and it, it I don't would have know, to be a part of the actual process of making the disc. I feel like, like well, you I just feel add like it you, on afterwards. Yeah, you would need like a a standard, and I, w- I was thinking like something the size of like a large pill that you'd have to take for some some horse pill or something you'd have to take. And then you'd have to have a spot maybe in the rim of your disc that you could just slide it and pop it in. And that's where it would go so that it was still smooth on the disc. You could have find a way to get it out. It wouldn't interfere with the flight and it would have to be within probably a gram or two so that it doesn't affect too much of the weight of the disc that it would just kind of slide into the rim. But even then you'd have to look at some discs have different rim styles and how, you know, the size of each rim and the angle and the flight plate and all this other stuff. 
you're right in that it would have to be part of the disc. So I think what you'd almost have to do is either have an after mod where you could pop them in or they'd have to be put in at the factory. And if you put them in at the factory, you're immediately um, probably doubling or tripling the cost of your disc. So the way I could see it working is if you, if someone came up with one of these and worked with a manufacturer to make a line of discs that maybe you don't use for actual play. I mean, you could, but I don't know why you'd want to throw necessarily your 40 or $50 disc, but you used it as a practice disc. This gives you, this is one, you know, Hey, I got one destroyer with this in it and I'm going to learn everything I can about throwing how I throw my destroyer, the angle I release it on the, the speed, the spin, the distance. And that is your practice disc. Maybe you get one with a destroyer. We'll just use Innova molds, a rock and an Mm -hmm. AVR. And so you can Mm -hmm. kind of generally do something like that. I couldn't imagine. I can't imagine this being used as a, a disc finding device. I can't imagine it being used until we can literally get these things down to the thickness and weight of a piece of tape. Yeah, like an adhesive. Yeah. An adhesive, more or less. And and even then, you need probably some sort of PDGA rule, because I believe you can't... I don't think you can add something like that to a PDGA-approved disc no. for, for a tournament. Yeah. You can't you can't have tape or anything. You know, we, we play uh, Glow, and you put Glow tape on it and stuff, but those aren't sanctioned events. So I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll ever truly see anything like that... Um, for for retrieval or anything like that the only way i see this happening is a company comes out with a like i said a a practice disc that matches the mold of something and you Mm -hmm. can use that to gather information about your particular throwing how fast is your arm speed and and things like that but i don't see this ever being a a a general purpose add-on to all any disc type of situation at least in the near-term future no and it's certainly not a solution for like data gathering on the pro tour or on the course like that is probably more of like having some type of like crazy camera scanning technology that somehow can like map out the entire course and know exactly where a disc is located on the course at any given point in time like you're probably going that route before you're going chip and disc like individually and trying to track them all over the place. Yeah. And then obviously as someone mentions, you have to think about charging and whatnot. Like how do you, how do you recharge these? Because I think the one that I had played with from latitude many years ago was a micro USB at the time. And you, you just plug it in. It would take, you know, a couple hours to charge up and then it'd be good for the day or, you know, six to four, five, six hours or whatever. You turn it on, you turn it off. You sync it to your phone and it, you know, you do whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I think that there is room. Somebody could do it, but like I said, it, I see it more as some sort of uh, device to help players or people become a better. Um, right. It would be goal, a training tool golfer. Kind of it's a training tool. <laughs> yeah. So sure see that. off of disc golf related content. I think I asked you this before you do. Uh, commentating for Valorant. What's the next? Because Valorant to me seems like it came out of nowhere, but I don't pay attention to the, to, again, I don't pay attention to an anything um, thing. I, for me, it was always the, the esports were Overwatch, uh, League of Legends, you know, Counter-Strike. Those were kind of the big ones. And then you've got your, you know, Hearthstone kind of card game stuff. But I'd never heard of Valorant until I think I heard you talk about it. And I'm sure it's something that you had seen coming for a while. What's the next third-party shooter or third-person, first-person shooter? First-person shooter that's that's going to make a splash in the esports, do you think? Is there one that's on the horizon? Is there one that like people are looking forward to? Like, oh, man, I really want... I, I don't know if... I know there's Modern Warfare, but I don't know if it's played competitively. Not really. But well, I it, mean, Call of Duty is played competitively, and they just update to whatever the e- newest version of Call of Duty is every year. So yeah. that's just kind of like a constant in that mm-hmm. sense. Like it's Call of Duty esports, and it's just whatever COD is out that year. Sure. So that so, so that doesn't really count in that regard because you kind of always know a new COD's coming every single year, mm-hmm. and everything just kind of adjusts accordingly. Um. So the, so that's all kind of one thing. Um. Valorant was. Uh, like from from the inside perspective, it wasn't necessarily an out of nowhere play. Yeah. Um, it was something where 
like Riot started hiring people to work on a secret project, and the people that they were hiring were FPS people, so everyone kind of knew <laughs> clearly they're working on some mm-hmm. type of FPS. Um, and then stuff kind of started coming out here and there, like trailers, and you know, like they did a pretty good job about like kind of like vamping up like towards the release of the beta. Like, hey, we got this thing, and it was very clear what they were targeting. They were targeting tactical FPS players that like Counter Strike. Or then maybe they enjoyed some elements of a game like Overwatch, but they wanted more FPS and less like Overwatch, like alt combos all day long, and that be the way that the game gets determined. Like they they want it to be more FPS focused as opposed to like Overwatch, which I think went a little bit more the opposite direction, where it was a little bit more heavy on like the like MOBA elements, like abilities okay. and skills and sure. ultimates and things of that nature. Uh, Rain- Rainbow Six is probably like another good example of a game that went the route of like having a more shooter focus but still having like all these abilities and gadgets and things like that that uh um made it still like more of a hardcore fps so so valorant was like perfect in the sense that it attracted people from both the counter-strike world and maybe people from like overwatch that wanted something a little bit different like they, they, like overwatch almost went a little too far in mm-hmm. like the different abilities that characters could do and stuff like that and Valorant was like kind of like a Valorant's kind of like a perfect balance because a lot of the abilities in the game are just mimicking like what utility in Counter-Strike would do. So like just to get an example for people who are like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Um, <laughs> it's like ability, like let's say a smoke grenade. We, we all know what that is. It's a grenade you throw on the ground and blooms smoke and it blocks people's vision. So Valorant just basically gave characters certain abilities that mimicked what a smoke grenade would do. You know, so like the abilities weren't like these crazy things that like completely changed the game. They were like pretty basic tools to use to help you play the game. Um, so th- that that's kind of like where Valorant comes from. That's why I think it got so popular. And although I do think it's more popular than people expected it, it was going to be. Sure, like, it's definitely. I think Valorant's ahead of schedule as far as like the viewership it gets, the player base it has. I think it happened a little bit quicker than people thought it would. But I think a lot of that was also due to people discontent with counter-strike because it was just so stale like valve was just kind of like hands off not really involved very much um you rarely hear from them like a lot of counter-strike is due to the grassroots people who play the game and love the game and the people within like the tournament ecosystem that kind of drive that game whereas valorant is very much riot is very hands-on they do update the game regularly um, and so people kind of take that as, oh, they care about this game, whereas Valve, like, is just, like, like, basically Counter-Strike is viewed as, like, the redheaded stepchild of Steam because they care about Dota 2. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, the big thing for Valve is Dota 2, and it's just, like, Counter-Strike's, like, the, you know, the kid crying in the closet or something like that, <laughs> like in Harry Potter. Um, but to get back to your question of, like, what's the next one... Nothing on the horizon that no, I've seen. No, nothing. Not no, nothing. Rumors or seats. I would. I would. I mean, I would guess. Company. I would guess at some point a new version of Counter Strike gets released, because if you just like kind of look at the timeline of it, I think Counter Strike Source came out in two thousand six. I believe the Counter Strike before that was like nineteen ninety nine or two thousand, and then CS:GO came out in two thousand twelve. So they're way past like it's like yeah the timeline like of the ten past. years <laughs> yeah so they they've been going at it pretty hard and see, so I could see like a new version of Counter Strike coming out especially because the the big thing like if you're like super into gaming uh, with Valve is like the the next Source engine like like Source Two is the name of the engine um, and that's kind of like they had already kind of pushed Dota Two to Source Two like some of the new aspects of that game are because it's source two driven. So I know that there's like been this big push to like push counter-strike to this new engine called source two, whatever the heck it is. Um, so I, I, I could see like a new version of counter-strike before I saw like a whole brand new franchise sure. or something like that coming. Into okay. This space. I just didn't know if there was anything coming down the pipe that people, you know, that aren't in the, the esports world maybe are getting excited for or rumors, you know, I, I don't know. I'll just throw it a like, Bungie is creating something that everyone's excited for or they think that something someone's coming out for i know there's talks right now that uh golden eye has just been released the classic golden eye for <laughs> it N6- has been yes it, it's been re-released in the last couple weeks for right. uh, for a lot of different platforms um and, and as i was joking i've got it on my arcade machine in the other room i just built so it's great <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I imagine like maybe just some new genre of game would be like the future of mm-hmm. esports, as opposed to like just some brand new first person shooter out of nowhere. Like it feels like the FPS space is kind of like pretty well accounted for in esports between Counter Strike, Rainbow Six, Valorant, and Overwatch, barely hanging on by a thread at this point. Like that game is pretty dead, honestly. I use that word like the loosest sense. Like people say a game's dead just because like it's it's stagnating, like the player base is dropping. It's not that it's actually literally dead. But Overwatch certainly Overwatch just like really screwed themselves, I think, with how they started their whole esports ecosystem. Like the way that esports have always succeeded in the past is usually grassroots driven, community driven, and then the developer just gets on board and supports it. Whereas, like, Overwatch tried to force the issue. It was built to, to be a, like, a, a, a platform, almost. I, I and remember they were you... demanding millions of dollars from people up front yeah. to, like, have franchise slots. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, so much cash got injected into that. And then Twitch spent, was it, like, was it like $90 million? What was it? It was some ludicrous number to, like, get exclusive streaming rights of the Overwatch League. Yeah. For no reason at all, because there was <laughs> no competition really like not really like there was competition but the competition was never going to be up to the same standard as twitch so twitch basically paid for something they could have easily gotten for free well i think there was so a there, chance that it was gonna go to youtube or something like that it was, was... mlg tv was the one oh, uh, so okay. mlg used to have their own like um streaming service and so that and, and obviously like blizzard and mlg i think blizzard eventually bought mlg so that was the route it could have gone and twitch was like no we want this and, and they, they spent it youtube uh, maybe could have been um but yeah like so much money got wasted in overwatch it's ridiculous mm-hmm. it's yeah I, I it's it's interesting I'd, I'd be curious what the next genre because i know i've watched a, i don't pay too much attention to first person shooters i got a little bit into hearthstone for a while um i'm playing more marvel snap now with my kid i am also a marvel snapper yeah it's it's I fun but i don't that. see it yet as a competitive um there's i don't think there's enough variety for it to be competitive a competitive league yet i'm, I'm be sure something i'm sure there'll be something at some point i just don't see it yeah. as you know it, it feels really mobile gaming in general casual. has become way more a part of the esports space mm-hmm. recently i think PUBG mobile was like really the biggest one. Oh, was it okay. um but like mobile gaming like we also we all used to kind of laugh at the idea of like mobile gaming being an esport like that's not real <laughs> gaming that's some dude play on his phone but like actually mobile gaming has like become a pretty substantial uh piece of the esports puzzle particularly in asia um in india um so yeah and then vr has always been kind of like this fringe thing that has some esports aspects to it but like obviously it's still like not like affordable enough and practical enough Mm -hmm. to like really spread to like a big population um and whether or not that day ever comes i have no idea um so yeah, like e- esports is hard to project. I think everyone's just trying to stay alive at this point. <laughs> everyone's just trying not to not trying not to go bankrupt is basically yeah. like the big goal of esports right now. Yeah, that's amazing. With all the money that goes in to uh these developers to develop these games that the uh the competition, I mean, cuz I'm not worried ever that Riot is going to go out of business or anything like that, but the fact that the competitive scene might, you never know. And is it going to well, go I mean, back? You know? The problem is, is like everyone's making money except for the people that are running the show. Sure. So all the players are making tons of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like maybe certain staff members are making money, but the venture capital that funded all that's not getting a return on their investment right now. Yeah. Um, it's it's very much like the only way you make money in esports. If, if like if you're on the business side like not if like if you're a player you just get a salary like right like staff mm-hmm. get salaries all that jazz but like if you're like up at the top and you're trying to make money the only way that you make money is by selling which is what's happened a lot like a lot of companies sure. are selling to just kind of some shady places and certain <laughs> regions of the world that might also be affiliated with like other like traditional sports that just recently happened uh so you you, you get what i'm getting at like there's yep. There's a lot of reliance on selling it off, like building up something, acquiring as much as you can under your umbrella and then selling it off to somebody hmm. um, is like really the way that people are making making money more often than not in esports. If you're like on the business side of it. 
interesting times. I'm curious as to what uh, what we're gonna what we're gonna see from not just esports but disc golf as well. Obviously, on the online arena and wh- where that goes and what we what we have coming up with. I know we talked about it last week a little bit. We've got you know this is the final year for the Jomez contract. We've got post production stuff. What's going to happen after that? I don't think Jomez is going anywhere personally. I think that they're you know they're covering MPO and FPO now, which is great. And we're, we're going to see we're going to see way more uh, coverage. So that was an interesting one. It, that, that 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 was I, a big switch between like you know GK Pro obviously being the FPO mm. people prior to that, and now them just focusing on skins and kind of wondering who made that move. Are people happy with it or not happy with it? Who kind of kickstarted it all? Like I, that that one's an interesting one from the outside perspective. Yeah, I don't think GK Pro is too sad to see FPO go because again, I, I've heard behind the scenes that you're not making money on FPO. It's just, unfortunately, the, the money's just not there because the views aren't there for most of these, for most of these companies. You already, yeah. the, the way that Jomez is going to be able to make money off FPO is that they already have the user base where they're going to be able to get the 70, 80, 90,000 views on these videos, which will still be a fraction, a large fraction of their MPO views, mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a, a uh, an outfit like GK where you're sitting with, I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand subscribers. And most of those are probably gathered through because of skins. Most of them probably don't care about the FPO coverage. So they're getting anywhere from seven to maybe 40,000 views. Well, 7,000. I think I saw one that had 7,000 views on one of the early rounds. And then you've got some of the big ones at 40, 50, 60,000 views. So mm-hmm. that just, they weren't making, I don't believe they were making enough money in order to make it worthwhile for the time that they were putting in for GK. Yeah, so I'm not I sure. I, I, it's still I, a huge, it's still a huge like fraction of your content that you're no longer going to it, have though. It is. That's, I think that's going to be the tough part in that, you know, you're going to go and I don't know what GK's plan is, but you're going to go from having, you know, what, eight, nine, ten videos a week between all of your, you know, three rounds two you know probably two nines for each one so that's six plus a skins plus probably a highlight to just the skins mm-hmm. and maybe and clearly they'll probably put out more different coverage of some sort but mm-hmm. i mean th- that that cuts your channel down and and it's it's funny because you know jomez has been able to build up their viewer base because they've always had the lead mpo card so right. it, you know, it's like a, you know, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an avalanche. It starts small, but it's always going downhill. And as long as they continue to have that, that primary lead card, they will continue to get subs. It's always yeah. been that way, you know? And so they've always been but able to, to, to do that. And you, you, you do feel like these companies do see the writing on the wall though, because everyone's starting to diversify their content. Everyone yes. is, you know, Joe Mez obviously has like putting game and they have mm-hmm. like, the stuff that they're doing on Simon Lazat right now, the name of that show escapes me, but like two episodes are out right now. Beyond Disc Golf, is it called? I, I yeah, yeah, I think it's Beyond Disc Golf. Uh, something like that. Um, they have other content out as well. They even had like a podcast that they were doing for a bit, um, like during the off season. Uh, obviously, GK Pro went the skins route. Um, I know Gatekeeper went the route of just like working with Ricky and doing a bunch of like stuff with him. I think they had like a. It was like something where he would like play a part everything's a par three like handicap match against somebody and they mm-hmm. would film that so like everyone's diversifying their content because they i think they all know secretly like deep down one day like yeah. they're not going to have the tournament coverage anymore and so to survive they need to either have some type of contract with the pro tour where they become like a white label where you know everything that they do just gets put underneath the dgn banner Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's no longer your brand out there anymore. You're basically getting paid to provide a service and you're, you're you know, like white labeling or you're having to put out some type of different content, whether that be some of the stuff we're already seeing people develop, whether that be more like news coverage type stuff, whether it be um, some type of side content alongside the event somehow. Um, you know, I, I think like we can kind of clearly see the progression of like where things are headed because I, I do think that like one day, surely the Disc Golf Pro Tour will will want everything underneath their umbrella in one way or another. 
whether it's Jomez white labeling it or whether it, it like somehow eventually it all gets underneath EGN. Surely. And it's, and I've said this for years, it's interesting because Jomez has, I mean, they've got great production quality, but I don't feel that their production quality is so much better than everybody else's. You know, if you look at uh, Gatekeeper as far as, or GK as far as the camera work, or even Disc Golf Network, the guys that, that do the live stuff, a lot of that stuff, these guys are all experienced cameramen. You know, in fact, mm-hmm. the Jomez crew might be the least experienced at this point because they've had they've had turnover. They've hired new people. They've expanded so much. The original crew that was doing that is on the sideline now. Jonathan, you know, comes in and does whatever. I, I, I'm sure he's involved in um, a lot of the other projects they do. But, you know, you've got Joey Tamale doing uh, camera work and guys, I don't even know their names as opposed to Jerry and Michael and Jonathan, who were, were you know, they're. They did it and everything. So they're all good cameramen. Everybody. Jomez has sure. a a slightly better production as far as their graphics go. Yeah, that's um, the big thing. They, they always push their graphics every year to like do stuff like they've flight been a little, pass and other I'll say things. They've been a little stale the last, I'd say, year or so as far as their graphics. They did add the overhead um, whole preview stuff, which I thought yes. was really nice this past year. I thought that was a nice addition to it. Um, There's always something every year that they add. Th- there is. There definitely which is. Which keeps them ahead of the game because almost and, virtually no one's adding anything anywhere else. Yeah, and you have, and obviously, so you've got that. I mean, their follow flight, anyone can do it. It's just a matter of putting in the time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally don't get that much excitement out of follow flights. I know some people do. I think they do a lot of other things much better. Um, and then sure. you've got the the one of the main reasons that everybody loves them is their commentary team. It's a culture. It's the, it's the culture, culture and the commentary, Joe, like their brand. Yeah. It's, their, it's it's the Jomez brand. So I'm curious to see how that translates how that translates over to FPO. Are they going to be able to find someone that that meshes like a German Yuli? Because clearly German Yuli have a relationship. They've had a relationship for a long time, but they have a unique one. A lot of them is a lot of their stuff is inside jokes. It's it's razzing on each other. It's kind of you know. Uh, being amazed at this del- that th- this this disc golf thing, and will the the Jomez culture mesh with the FPO culture? I don't know. That's what I'm curious to see what happens. But I think I think you're right in that all these brands see it on the wall. Steve Dodge was way ahead of his time when he fired us and he fired the the post production crews, and he wanted to bring it all under his umbrella. I said at the time I thought it was the right move. He just yeah. went about it the worst way in the world. And, and either you bring it all under your umbrella or you're selling broadcast rights for like yes. high dollar amounts that makes it worth it to it not being under your umbrella. Exactly. And I know Joe Best did spend in this situation. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was money exchanged, but I don't know if that holds up over time. Yeah, I don't know what the what what is the value has the value. I mean, last year they signed a two year contract for a half million dollars. That was the number. Yeah. So is the is it more valuable now is it less valuable now i mean b- because is post production less valuable with live being more valuable you know does jomez have a right to come out and say cool we'll do it for two more years but we're only going to do it for 250,000 because live is so much more valuable does that push down the value of post production or is because the sports bigger now is post-production even more valuable and live has like is everything come up i i yeah, that's I, tough for me i don't know like, the answer i don't know the value i do know that the pro tour leaves a lot of money on the table by not bringing it all under their umbrella mm-hmm. like i think that if that they could you know the 500 we'll just say two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year they could easily make that back by by hiring a two editors and selling ads against those videos they could make up that two hundred fifty thousand. The question is, do they want to put, do they want to put that effort in? Jomez does such a good job that you you are right away, um, running into an issue with either obviously the Jomez culture, the fans. If you if you cut them out, so that right away is going to leave a sour taste. And on top of that, you're taking on a lot of liability, so to speak. Of now, this is your responsibility. If you don't do it well, again, aka Steve Dodge, a couple of years ago you're you're going to get just demolished online as steve did and semi rightfully so like when steve came in and said i want to bring this all under the pro tour umbrella and we're going to do live on our own we're going to do post-production on our own again i said it was the right move i thought it was the best move for the tour at the time 
he just did it horribly. It just the, the the crew that he had, the PSP, great guys, but just put under the gun and it, it just nothing worked out for them. It went it was a, a you could not ask for a a worse set of circumstances to domino down and eventually you know crash on him as we saw that yeah. it happened. But I mean, as an outsider, disc golf has always been kind of interesting to me, um, like with this whole idea of live versus post-produced, because like obviously any other sport, there's no debate. It's live, right? Like any mm-hmm. traditional sport, you're watching it live or you maybe you like record it. If you couldn't watch it live, you come back home, you watch it later or the case may be. Um, but the problem is, is that a disc golf has this longstanding culture of being a post-produced sport for one. And then two, it lasts so long. Like, who wants to sit on their couch and watch, like, an eight-hour live broadcast and be there for the entire bit of it? At some point, you're going to cut it off, but you're going to want to catch up. And so you would love to have that post-produced content available to be able to do that so that you can get through the content faster in a more reasonable amount of time. Right. Like, you know, it might take you a few hours, three hours to watch a basketball game. It take you eight again, eight hours if you want to follow all the disc golf coverage. So like eventually having something that's more. I don't know. Bite size is the right word, but something that's just easier to consume means that post produce is always going to be a popular option within disc golf. It's the same thing for esports, by the way. Like we essentially ask people to sit there and watch a tournament that runs for eight to 12 hours long. And some people will tune into that live. But eventually people do tune out, I imagine, and they rely on the VODs to be able to see what they want to see if they didn't get to catch it live. And so you're you're going to always have that, like, I think, friction of live versus post producing disc golf. And I do think that there will always be a place for post producing disc golf because strictly just because of how long it lasts. Yeah, I think more than anything, I, like, I, think, I think even the most diehard person can't stick around and watch the whole thing live. It's um, funny because we it's just we, about who controls it. We have post-produced, which I always consider, I, I feel like we have three genres of coverage in disc golf, and one is not even being used. Um, <laughs> there, there's there's live, the full live. There's post-production, which is a very nice, clean-cut, commentated version of the, lot, of, of, of the event. And then there is what I was, what I used to do, I feel like, is for the live, which is the smash cut. You just take the live and you chop it up. Cool. This is what we did live. Here's where we cut out 99% of the commercials. Maybe you have a, a, a an ad roll in, uh, maybe one or two in the middle, and that's it. And you just you cut out everything. And you don't care about the 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 funny haha commentary that you get from the Jomez or the FPO or whatever. You get the live commentary, but just chopped up. And it might be a little harsh at times to, to just cut somebody off when you want to go to the next shot. But that will catch. It's it's like a vod. It'll you'll you'll get caught up. You know here here's blocks. Here's holes one through four. One through four. Here's block. Here's holes five through seven. Here's holes ten through whatever. And you just chop that up. You throw it out there. That takes minimal time and effort as opposed to a post production effort, which can literally take six to eight hours to produce for a good team like Jomez, you know, they've got, they're bringing in the footage, they're editing it, they're putting on graphics, they're doing commentary, they're, they're cleaning it up and then they're releasing it on YouTube. Like all that takes overnight. This, I mean, this, you you take the recording, you chop it up, you squeeze it together, you re-render it. Yes. You ship it out as a, as a video on demand and it's got no extra commentary. To me, that's where this is eventually going to go. I think there will be a place for these really nice, post-production rounds but i feel like you know we're we're spoiled in disc golf that we have them because if you watch like an nba short game it's just the live cut up congratulations they don't get jim nansen to to talk about or or marv elbert to come and talk about the uh uh the the 12 minute version of the nba game your nba game you're watching on youtube they just cut up the live man and and ship it out and i think that's where we're eventually going to go um, I, because for me, again, I'm unique. Everybody has a different perspective. I don't care about post-production. If I want to catch up on a, on a, a lot on a broadcast, I'll watch post-production, but I watch it at twice the speed with no commentary. It's again, it's all data in data out. Just 
I, I don't care about what German Yuli or uh, uh, Madison and Erica Stinchcomb say about the, the players. I can see that myself. I'm going to get it in and out as fast as I can. And that's what I feel my smash cuts were. And that's what I think post-production will eventually go to on the disc golf network. I think they could, they could right now do that, have it out hours and hours before Jomez put it behind the paywall and just see what kind of, you know, see what kind of viewer viewership they get. I used to get decent viewership, especially from overseas because these guys would wake up and it would be there. Cool. That's awesome. I can just watch this real quick and go. And, you know, obviously no one is competing at that time. No one was competing with Jomez uh, for, for the stuff, but I, I, I kind of feel like that's where it might go in the future. I don't know. And, you know, that's again, out of my purview of expertise now. Um, but, uh, but that's what, to me, what makes the most sense. Yeah. I think it's just like disc golf is this unique situation where the culture of how disc golf is consumed is so split. It is. Um, and I don't know that there's another situation like that, that disc golf has where it is that, Mm-hmm. that split half and half like and, and probably leaning more towards post-produced if we're honest yeah it is still um, so i just don't know like another sport or another thing that has found themselves in this identical situation and like how you eventually make a push in that live direction fully and, and how you slowly transition it how, how you kind of slowly work in that direction without like ticking your audience off or um like maybe even like I don't want to say killing it, but like you might ruin it all. Like mm-hmm. if, if you make the wrong move at the wrong time, you turn people off and it becomes like a huge problem rather than you like advancing and, and having a positive trajectory. Like, I don't know how you handle it all, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's good. You know, it's going to take years. People start losing jobs, you know, you know, money starts getting lost. Like a lot of things happen there mm-hmm. and, and there could even be grudges held or like, Oh you know, yeah. People. So it, it it's a very fragile situation for sure. I mean, one thing is for sure, like we want live to get better and we want live to grow. We want live to be a like a major part of disc golf. I think like that that's like very clear. And I think I think most people, if you ask them, would probably say, yeah, we, we'd love to see live get better and grow. And like we're all for that, but we just don't want to lose post produce. Like we still want to have that. Option. Yeah, I think um, there's going to be um, there. And, and here's. Obviously, another option. We still do like what I said. You 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 take the live, you cut it up, you put it behind the paywall, and post produce still exists. It just exists on Monday, and Tuesday, yeah. and Wednesday, and those post produce rounds don't come out until a little later because I'm under the person. I've always had the feeling that cool. We have these post produce. That's great, but you're not entitled to them. You're not entitled to get this awesome coverage of some of the Disc Golf Pro Tours event the next day at the expense of the Pro Tour. And I like the post-production because I think it does bring in um, casual viewers. I think you, but again, if you're a casual viewer, you're probably not tuning, you might not be tuning in the next day to see what happened the day before. And, you know, do do I want to lose post-production? No, because I think those guys do a great job. But I also think that there's no reason why it can't come out after the event and let the Pro Tour, you know. Sure, Jomez might lose 25% of their views because there is going to be that portion that really does want it next day. They want to see what happened. They don't want to sit through the live. They don't want to wait and, you know, go through the, the entire four-hour round. But they really want to see what happens. Okay. There's an option for you. There's the, you know, there's the chopped up version. And if you want to wait to get the really nice produced version, you can wait till Monday, you know? And that's, I think, I think there is room for that type of uh, aspect. And I hope that nobody, obviously I hope that nobody loses their jobs. I want everyone to kind of continue to succeed because right now we are in a kind of a, a huge, awesome growth period where there's more and more options for everybody. So But we'll see, won't we? Um, is any anything out on the board? Ray's been asking all sorts of questions tonight. Do we have yes. anything else we want to chat about in our after show? Um, what's your next disc golf thing? Dust? What, do you have anything lined up, or just in another podcast? You know, you're going to kind of wait. Is, do yeah. You, do you hope to do that as like a regular, or or just kind of when you when you feel like there's uh, a point for it? 
Yeah, so that's a that's an interesting one because like to be like fully transparent, like I felt last year I was like moving very rapidly in a positive direction, like mm-hmm. faster than I ever would have thought. Like basically within because I I mean like when I knew I wanted to do disc golf stuff, I kind of reached out to everyone. Um, you know, I mean as as you would, right? Like you know you got to play the game, you got to uh you know put yourself out there, be persistent, you know, like you got to be gung ho and like go for it. And so I did and. Like, luckily, I kind of, like, struck gold pretty quickly doing the DGN stuff with the Scramble show I was doing, uh, thanks to Jamie Thomas, uh, and obviously yourself helping me get involved with that. Um, and then, luckily, like, Gatekeeper decided to roll the dice on me. To be fair, they were kind of in a desperate situation at the time that they did roll the <laughs> dice on me. It was, like, one of those things where it's, like, either we roll the dice on this guy or we have nobody. Because, like, I think what happened was, is, like, they last second got picked up to cover Belton. Because they normally don't do Silver Series events. They normally just do the Elite stuff. And I think something happened to where, like, they got asked to do Belton and they were not prepared for that because Silver Series is not their thing. And so they're like, uh, okay, like, yeah. And then they had to kind of scramble to put it together. And then eventually they reached out to me um, after, like, I mean, the last time I had talked to them before they hit me up for Belton was, like, many, many months like we had an initial conversation, they didn't seem interested at all, and then all of a sudden, six months later, hey, you want to come cast Belton for us real quick? Uh, so it was like a very like kind of rapid thing. Um, but yeah, so I was very fortunate to kind of get the opportunities I got last year, and everything seemed like it was like heading in a pretty good direction. And then this year, like everything, like the bottom kind of fell out. Like you know, I'm not working with Gatekeeper anymore. Uh, you know, I'm, my show got canned basically on DGN. <laughs> uh, and, and so it's like, I'm not sure what happens next. Like, you know, I'm still like in communication with people on the pro tour and maybe something happens, maybe something doesn't. I don't really know. Like, obviously what the dream would be to one day be on the live commentary. Uh, but I know that that's, that's a, an uphill climb because there's a lot of already talented people already in those seats. Um, and there's only so many seats available. So, you know, I, I kind of understand that like, I'm kind of the bottom of the totem pole in that regard because I'm the new guy. I don't have as much experience. I don't have the same tenure. But the ambition and drive and passion still there. I can tell you that. So as far as what's next, I don't know. But certainly, uh, hopefully something. Obviously, I have my own YouTube channel. I'll always put out my own personal content for fun. Uh, but hopefully, you know, I can get involved in some Pro Tour stuff or whatever the case may be down the line. I'm always always got an open open ear for it. Yeah, I don't know what the plan is for Silver Series next year, but you can always reach out to Ian Anderson from Central Coast and figure out what they're going to do because they're covering all of the uh, the Silver Series next year on Central Coast's channel. So I know Ian, you know, he's he can be he's very workable. He's a nice guy. So mm-hmm. reach out to yeah. reach out to Ian and just at least put your name out there to let him know you're interested. So um, I got something actually. Now that I think about it, I look over here. So every year, um. Skip Ace does a uh, fundraiser for the Paul Macbeth Foundation, and we do that at USDGC. Paul Paul always, or always, the past two years, has donated his players pack to the winner. Awesome plan, you know. Someone wins and they get Paul Macbeth's players pack with his, you know, usually got some custom stuff. And what I get out of it is every year the Paul Macbeth Foundation sends me some really awesome Paul Macbeth signed exclusive i think they're exclusive i don't know i just say that um discs signed by paul Macbeth. like this one here is the paul Macbeth foundation disc this is a, a zeus i believe um trying to feel it feels like probably a zeus no i'm sorry it's a luna that's a putter a, yeah putter not a zeus <laughs> i the funny thing is i i was i was thinking zeus i was thinking luna but i said zeus and i'm like no zeus is a driver like what am i doing it's it's his because oh. i'm thinking his putter it's his luna and then here's another putter. Um, yeah. I this is I this is a Luna as well. Yes. Okay. This one feels a little different though. It might just be the plastic. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They got the same. Like, yeah. Not a Zeus, a Luna. <laughs> wow. Talk about old. Um, but anyway, this one says the project's 2023. So this is pretty cool. So if you do donate to a, a decent amount to the Paul Macbeth Foundation, you can get on the list and get stuff. So by all means, if, if you're out there and you're looking to raise funds for something and you want a little something out of it, um, I don't expect these. Every year they surprise me because I forget about them. I, I get them at, like, I think I got one last February as well. And it just shows up and I'm always like, what did, what did I get in the mail? Like, I didn't order discs and I open them like, oh, that's right. It's the Paul Macbeth stuff. Awesome. So those are some pretty sweet, some pretty sweet plastic. Um, I'm always excited Hoping that uh, maybe someday they'll be worth something and I still won't sell them because I'll be like Terry Miller and I'll just hoard them 
but it does what, blow my mind how many diffs that Terry Miller must have. Like, it's got a lot. I mean, it, he, it, it's it's not so much. Obviously, it, it is a sheer number, but just the variety that he has too. Just yeah, because he always buys almost anything that comes out and just right. shovels a handful of them away. Or mm-hmm. if they don't sell, he shovels a lot of them away. Like there are mm-hmm. discs that you know didn't sell well. 10 years ago that he just put, Oh, look, I got 30 of these left. All right. I'm going to put them in a box and I'll put them in storage. And then suddenly five or six years later, everybody's clamoring for second run destroyers or something. And you're like, and Terry's like, Oh, I got like 20 of them. You know, he asked me today, he's like, how many of those? Cause the Paul McBeth discs went on sale. The six claw, the six claw stuff. And he asked me, he's like, how many did you want of each? I'm like, oh, I want three of each. And he's like, okay, cool. I just want to make sure I have enough um, for selling because he's going to turn around and sell some as well. Because um, he usually will. Uh, Terry gives. Me I will say it seems hookup. like they made a lot of six claw stuff. So they I kind of wonder. It's not going to be as valuable. valuable. I, there's no way. Yeah. No, not as valuable as the the box full of four claw stuff I have. But um, like we had a local store that doesn't even sell mm-hmm. online. Get three hundred of them. Yeah, they, they were wide open. Yeah, I that's think just one example. Yeah, they were wide open, bro. And and that's kind of the spot I think we're in for collectible stuff. The stuff that you, the stuff that they're releasing now, I don't feel will be as collectible as the stuff that was before because everybody's expecting it to be collectible now. You know, Terry and I took a, a chance when Macbeth signed with Discraft that we went and got a bunch of the four claw stuff, thinking like, you know, hey, it's Paul's first run with Discraft and. Nobody really thought much of it. Like those zones weren't worth squat. You couldn't ha- hardly give them away when they first flipped. The only thing that was worth anything was like the buzzes. And now you, you know, those, those the handful of zones that I have are going for like, I think anywhere from like 120 to $200, depending on what, what you have with them. So, mm-hmm. but you're right. You know, like the, the James Conrad, holy shot disc, that's not worth anything. Nope. You know, it's, it's just cool to have. Yeah. And exactly like this, the six time claw stuff, unless you get one of the real exclusive ones that I know there's a few out there, they're just going to be stock discs. Practically. Yeah, it's all about like a certain stamp yes. variety or a certain color or something like that will like ultimately be like the one golden ticket that's actually worth a ton of money. But then like mm-hmm. all the rest is going to be like maybe you flip it and get like a five dollar profit or something like that Correct. or ten dollars or something like that like it's not going to be anything crazy and and that's actually been interesting to like see how disc golf has like adopted this drop culture where it used to be obviously for a while like supply was just low because of like production issues and things of that nature uh and demand got crazy high because of covid and all that jazz but it it is interesting like how because like you know i'm used to drop culture because of like things like sneakers or like other things that are like really highly sought after or collectible and like only a limited number get made and and so like you have that but you would just never think that like disc like a <laughs> sport is supposed to be like a relatively cheap entry point cheap equipment you know it's not viewed as like some like money like high money thing like traditional golf or something like that for example Yet we have like this crazy collector's market for disc and companies feed into it through these different like drops that they do. Like this mania might be like the worst for it, where it feels like everything they drop is limited. Like you only ever it used seen to be that stock way. come out. Like now yeah. you're starting to see, like like they're like ramping up for like the stock S line release that they're about to have. Mm-hmm. But for a while there, like every disc they drop was like a limited player like thing or well, like something like it was, for a long wild. time. I mean, disc mania was at the whim of Innova. Because Innova, sure. Innova manufactured their stuff, so they only got a a certain time or however they had their agreement worked out on the machines. They could only get so many discs. And so I think the the run was limited, not necessarily by choice, but then you play into that. You know, if, mm-hmm. you, know if you only have apples to sell, you're making apple pie. And so yeah. now they have their own manufacturing area. They're going to be able to pump out discs at a much higher rate. And I and you're seeing how I think like the mystery boxes that they had this year, they might still for, be for sale, which is unheard of. Yeah. Those disc those disc mania mystery boxes right. used to go so fast, and this year they man I think they probably pumped out a billion of them because it was mm-hmm. like a couple weeks ago I saw that they were you know I got an ad for them that disc mania was still trying to sell them, yep. so they either made a whole crap ton 
or they weren't nearly as popular. And I'm guessing it was they made a whole crap ton thinking they were going to flip a whole bunch. And they probably did, but not as many as they thought. And then it's like funny because Discraft kind of dips both directions because like they do drop a lot of stock stuff. But then they have all that crazy like special Ledgestone stuff that like winds up being limited and and, and has that whole collector's market aspect to it. Uh, yeah. It. So it, it's an interesting one. That is interesting because I think I heard that uh, Ledgestone has like uh, truly has their own machine dedicated to them. Like, yeah, they I wouldn't doubt it. They they have they they pay for it. They pay for who, probably the employee that runs it and the stamping. I think like Ledgestone kind of has like a <laughs> they sublease a little area of the of the of the warehouse probably. or something. And they have access to almost any mold that Discraft has ever made. And they yeah. can make all these crazy combinations and they make all these exclusive drops. And it's it's worked out really well for them. They've been able to kind of milk that and be able to raise a ton of money for the Ledgestone Open and, you know, St. Jude and whatnot. Because I wanted, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted them to go back and I was like, there's one disc that I want them to re- re-release. I want them to do the MRX, which is like early... It's pre-buzz mid-range, but apparently, I think like the mold is broken. The original mold was broken back in the day, so they can't make them. Um, and that's <laughs> like because it's the one disc that I, I asked. Literally, I think I asked someone at Discraft as like, or asked Terry to ask someone at Discraft. I was like, hey, can we can we get these? Because we were talking about trying to work with I think a Ledgestone to make a run of them, like a Smashbox run of them, and have exclusive rights to them or something. A couple of years ago. And it just didn't work out because I think literally the one, the mold that we wanted was broken. And they're like, nope, that's the one, like one of the one or two discs we can't recreate or remake with the original mold. But we have all these other ones. And Terry and I were like, eh, they've all been done. Like, you know, I, I don't need a Cyclone run. I don't need like a an X-Clone run. I, I don't need any of these other ones. I wanted this particular one because I thought it would be kind of fun to have you know, oh, uh, an, an MR, you know, uh, an MRX in new plastic as opposed to the older. God, I forget. Yes, it, it was ESP before it was ESP um, plastic. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that was, you know, some old behind the scenes stuff. But yeah, it's it's amazing that Ledgestone can kind of just continue to pump out. They're going to make their next drop in a couple of weeks, I think. I think I saw that in like two weeks or something. They're going to make their first 2023 drop of plastic. So I'm curious to see what they make this year. Because they always have some really yeah. kind of interesting molds. I had, I had to like, I had to plastics. find a way to like flip the switch in my brain of not caring. Because like yeah. it got to a point where it's like, if I don't flip the switch to not care mode, <laughs> I'm literally going to go bankrupt buying a bunch of discs like every freaking time something drops. Yeah. And so it's like, I had to eventually like draw a, a, a line in the sand. Like, all right, like you can't have any more of my money. Like I have too many discs, and I feel like I have a lot of discs. But then I think of someone like Terry Miller who has like. I wonder if anyone on this planet has more discs than Terry has. Oh, yeah. There's there's a few guys out there that are just crazy collectors that just collect okay. a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, t- Terry's got to be like top 10, though, or something like. Uh, I don't know if he's top 10, but I, I think he, he he's <laughs> he's definitely top 5%. I'll say that. I don't know if he's top yeah, 10 yeah, yeah. in number of people, but that's a given. He, he, he is. Uh, I, I would debate he's top 10 because it's only it's only like one. I mean, I don't say only one, but he's got an entire uh, shed isn't the right word. Uh, storage space literally overflowing with discs. Plus, he's got some in his room of his house that he broadcasts from. And he's got some floating around with his outside sellers that he works with to sell at the parks. I mean, he's got a lot of stock stuff, too. But I, mm-hmm. and I keep I keep screaming at Terry and I think he just keeps putting me off. I'm like, I want to take a winter and go to your storage facility and just a film what we you know call rather than in the bag just in the box <laughs> pull a random box down and let's go through it whatever that mold is and just tell us about it because he knows I think the, what blew my mind most he knows about the him. story about all the discs and he could pull yeah. up and be like oh yeah this is these are the third run buzzes that came out at the memorial in 2009 that there were only 500 made and th- th- this one is you know whatever worth you know 150 dollars last time i looked or something and just go through a bin and make that one episode mm-hmm. five minute episodes short little one someone's gonna steal my idea now because i put it out in the world but just kind of go yeah, through nah, these and just you're right 
and, and, and that's fine there's only there's only like 15 people in the world that could probably do this so <laughs> what blew my mind the most is that he has like an online store but like just never promotes it like i never seen it anywhere i didn't even know he had it he's and then i think by chance he just happened to mention it like one random episode mm-hmm. and i was like that's, oh crap he has an online store and so i went and found it yeah, he hasn't done anything with it for years, and finally, I ordered some stuff off of it like a while back. I'm not gonna lie, like, yeah. not too long ago, actually, like a few and, months ago, I ordered some stuff off of it. And it's been only in the last like three to four months he's been really working on promote, not promoting it, but getting it up to date. Because again, Terry travels so much, and he's he's sure only has so much time, so he's never really wanted to put much effort into it. So when he sells discs, it's usually, hey, I'm gonna do a raffle, or I'm gonna go on eBay, or whatever. I'm gonna put stuff out there, but he always otherwise he sells discs locally. And so now he's got some people that he's working with that are like excited to do online sales and stuff like that. So he's slowly building up his repertoire. And I, again, that's the other thing I keep talking about. Like you need to go through your, your collectible stuff and value it and maybe not get rid of all of it. But if you have 20, or we'll just say 40 first run destroyers that are each going for 200 bucks a piece, you could sell 10 of them. <laughs> like, yeah. But he can't. That's just it, though. And I'd I'd say this to Terry Fuse here. He can't. He physically. I think it physically hurts him. Like to let one of those things go. He's stuck in like a a funny mentality of I could sell it now. He's like halfway to hoarding. He's like he's like halfway there. He's close to it. He. I, I think he just is is not worried. Isn't the right word. But just a he doesn't need to. So there, there's yeah, always that's, that. that's a good point. And, and it's not it's not like he's dying for the cor- money or something. Correct. Like he doesn't that. need so he doesn't no need the cash. Exactly. He could use it, you know, whatever. But there's the idea of I could sell this destroyer now for two hundred, or I could hold on to it for another two to five years, and maybe it's two fifty, maybe it's three hundred, and I keep telling him maybe it's one hundred. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe, there are certain discs that we've seen come and get really excited, like the USCGC rocks. And then they're mm-hmm. then they lose all their value. Mm-hmm. All it's going to take is, and I know it's difficult because I don't foresee this, Innova to release a new driver that everybody falls in love with, and suddenly the destroyer is old hat or something along those lines. You know, somehow Discraft comes out with the next awesome mid range, and the buzz isn't all that anymore. But again, that's that would be very difficult to do because there are certain discs that are just beloved, right? And you know. So it does seem like there are certain molds that are untouchable for sure. And that's, and that's kind of how it feels like the, the, the rock, the, the destroyer, the buzz, the AVR. I think those are kind of like the untouchable discs in our sport that probably won't go anywhere. Every company has like a handful for sure. No, that will always be around. Really? No, I, I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I like, I throw a lot of DD stuff. But I don't see them having a disc that would like anybody would care about if it if it went away, like that a huge majority of people that would be like, oh, you can't get rid of this, you know, a DD, a DD, or just think if there's or, one or hardly Discmania, like oh, I would disagree. Discmania kind of has the what the DD three, the DD three, the PD, the DD three is a destroyer clone, the PD two, like. People like them, but MD one like there, there, there's a few molds I think right. at this many that people will be upset. At uh, I, I will say on. this: DD, I'm, I take it back. DD does have a, a few. They've got the Emac uh, Truth, yeah, that's and the, the big one, and probably. the Judge. I think those two, you you don't like you, those are almost untouchable at DD. Right. So I take I take that back. But, then like you know, Latitudes, probably like the Ballista Pro or something. Yeah, I don't know. MVP the uh, the uh, uh, Vault. Probably no, 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 the no. Envy, envy. Thank you. The envy. That's axiom I, technically, but yeah, technically it's axiom. Yeah, um, yeah you know, you there, there, that. there's that. So, but for the most part, I, I think about discraft discs. I'm like, the buzz for sure. The buzz is really the only one I can think of that's really like people would just lose it if for some reason they stopped producing them. Like, yeah, that, that's got to be the main one for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, there's they, they've got a lot of good discs. They got the force, and they've got. You know that a lot of their players use, and now they've got the whole Paul Macbeth line. And mm-hmm. I love the Comet personally. I think everybody should throw one, but I just mm-hmm. think it's a good disc to really nail down your form with because it shows off every flaw. Like if you if you have a flaw in your throw, the Comet will prove it. And if you can <laughs> if you can throw a Comet really well, 
you can probably throw almost any disc really well. So that's kind of how I feel about it. It's not the, you know, you don't see a lot of players other than Michael Joe throwing them on tour, but I feel it's a really good, um, it's a really showcase disc. It's very, it's very finicky. So that's fair. I agree with that. Yeah. All right, Dust, I think we've run the gamut tonight. What is it? It's uh, it's almost midnight here in the Midwest. We've had about a three-hour show, roughly. Yeah, that's about right. That's Pretty our, that's solid. Our, that's our solid, normal show. It'll get somebody, you know, to their next rest stop, hopefully, <laughs> this, this weekend, <laughs> which is what we shoot for here at, uh, at Smashbox. But uh, I want to thank you again for joining us and talking I appreciate it, man. disc golf and talking esports as well. I know that... Uh, you probably sometimes get sick of talking esports, and you want to talk disc golf, but you know a lot of us get sick of talking disc golf and want to talk esports. So it's just uh, hard talking esports. Like it's like like esports yeah. for me. Like like not to like keep the thing going for too long. No, it's but fine. The 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 one thing about esports that's funny is like I have to decide how much time I want to commit to talking about it before I even mention it. So like the perfect example will be like if I'm on an airplane. And the person sitting next to me turns around and is like, what do you do for a living? It's like, how long do I want this conversation to be? Yeah. Because if I say I'm an esports commentator and then I just don't say anything else, they'll be like, what in the world is esports? And then all of a sudden <laughs> I'm like, I'm invested now. Like, this is like a 30 minute conversation, bare minimum, yeah. you know, or I have to just be like, oh, I'm a journalist. Or like there's some general thing that's like sure. vaguely related to what I actually do, but like will get me out of having a 30 minute conversation about it. So that's the funny thing about esports is like most people are just like have no clue like that <laughs> I run into in everyday life. And it's just like, how long do I want to have this conversation for? Like, or how much time do you have? Because I'm down, but like, yeah. we're, we're going to have to get through some stuff for this to make sense. <laughs> and, and so uh, that's what I, always gets interesting with people. I feel you because I feel the same way. Like when, you know, people ask me what I do, I the easy thing for me if I want to shut people up, it's like, ah, I work in it. Yeah. Like, that's a good that, one. Like that's how that's, and it's true. I do like, that's my nine to five. But it, <laughs> when people find out that like I do a podcast, then it's, then there's all the questions. Well, mm-hmm. what do you, what, what's it about? How often do you do it? Is it, you know, how, where can I watch it? Let me, let me subscribe to it right now. And half the time I just feel like it's like, y- you really don't want to, like, like, like I, I talked to some of my friends or my, my kids, parents, my kids, friends, parents, and you know, they come in, they hang out at the house and you know, they come downstairs and they'll see the podcast too. Like, Oh wow. This is, this is nice. And you're like, tell me like, I'll sit and listen. I'm like, no, you won't like you'll get, you'll get, you'll get into five minutes of it and you'll get bored because you don't care about disc golf. Like I can sit, I, I could sit and even my best friends who I had over, you know, two weekends ago from high school sat down and some of them I've, I've known for 30 years and they still don't really fully understand. Like, it's like, it's like, so tell me about disc golf. Like, what are you doing? It's like, all right. I kind of explain it every few years, but I do live broadcasting and then you have to get into like the entire disc golf pro tour and you know, my aspect of it and the podcast. And, and then they're like, well, do you, you know, would it, would it interest me? And I'm like, no, it wouldn't. What would I sit in? And then the question is, well, what do you talk about for three hours every week? Yeah. yeah, Every week. Mm -hmm. I feel (laughs) you, man. And you're again, like you tell them like, you're not going to find this interesting. (laughs) Sometimes I struggle. I struggle to answer the question. But even if I'm willing to have the conversation, like, especially because like, because I do it as like a freelancer, it's not like Mm. really a a career, so to speak. It makes it even harder to say that because I don't even feel confident in myself saying that this is my job because it might not be tomorrow. You know what I mean? Because that's just like the nature of like the risk of being a freelancer, uh, you know, like working gig to gig and like lining up contracts, stuff like that. Like it's always hard to like just identify yourself as something like that. um, That that is that sort of thing. And unless like you have like a cushy, like full time, like role in that particular thing. Mm. Um, but then, like you said, it gets into the minutiae of actually trying to explain what the heck you do and the details <laughs> and they start asking questions. You're like, you're not going to understand. And it's even harder for me because, like, even though we're almost hitting the point where, like, esports has been around long enough and it's mainstream enough and, like, most people my age and younger know about it, yeah, that it's not so hard. But, like, crossing over, like, into disc golf, for example, like, the demographic of disc golf, like, still probably trends a bit older than like 
a lot of other communities like sure. just just like for, and so it's that is still like the one that's tough for me to like break through on and to like be like well, what the heck is that like i would see it all the time in like gatekeeper comments like what the heck's esports like <laughs> and it's just like like that the, the demographic is, is a little bit tougher there but uh I talk about people playing video games <laughs> and th- that even sets them even further apart man yeah. then, then you start telling about people who live stream on twitch and they make a bunch of money just people watching them play a video game like mm-hmm. that that's where it gets real wild right yeah um um, but I think, like you know, no, another generation away from that not being such a such a mystery to people anymore. Yeah, I think it's going to take like one big, and I thought maybe Fortnite would do it, but like one big tournament to be broadcast on like NBC on a Saturday night or something. And I know they've, there's been a few that have hit like broadcast usually. I've always seen them like on the if they were on, they were usually on like afternoon, like, hey, it's a Saturday afternoon thing. But, you know, a, a prime time big event for a huge game that everybody is kind of in the know of. And I kind of thought that Fortnite was going to do that with as huge of a, a a surge that it had. And I kind of feel like that's even Fortnite is like on the downswing currently because and I judge that based on, you know, what my kids are interested in well that whole genre of game is on the downswing yeah like the whole idea of a battle royale game has become like pretty stale as a genre in general um so yeah but i I think you're right and i i do think mobile gaming is actually helped in that regard though because i think like a lot of people do want to eventually at some point getting some kind of game on their phone uh no matter how old they are um and then that's kind of bridged the gap as well a little bit but um interesting stuff for sure Definitely. Well, Dust, thanks for joining us again. Absolutely. Um, it is now officially 12.02. Well, we're going to wrap up the show once again. Um, thanks to everybody who sat and listened to us talk. Um, this was podcast after show episode 441. And as Terry said, thanks again for stepping inside the Smashbox. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market